to be here to get us started in just a moment, but uh, before he comes, I'm going to be back later. I'm going to tag team in on this teaching in just a little bit, but I just first wanted to say that for many years of my life personally, I have wanted my life to be a love song to Jesus. This song resonates with my life, with my soul, with what I want, And, and that's really where we got the title of this series. But I wanted change in my life. I still want change in my life. But so often I end up with just frustration. And I'm thinking to myself, is this change thing, is it really working? I mean, is is it happening? Is it going on? I, I thought I was doing all of the right things. I was going to church. I was reading my Bible. I was praying. I was serving other people. I was giving, giving money. I thought, surely I'm doing all the right things. But so often, I still felt stuck in my life. So a couple of weeks ago, Beth and I, we did a 252 and a first look, uh, kind of a children's worship experience. What Really what we talked about doing, what we're going to be doing tomorrow night. We did a first look and a 252 worship experience where we baked cookies. I don't know if anybody saw that, but it was a lot of fun. We had some fun with it. And we baked some cookies, and when we were baking the cookies, uh, Beth and I, we gathered all the ingredients up. So we had all our ingredients set aside in our, in our bowls and in our cups and everything. We had good ingredients, you know. We had our flour and our butter and our sugar, and we had our vanilla, and we had you know, everything that you need to bake chocolate chip cookies. We had the right stuff, you know. We had the right ingredients. We had the correct things to put uh, according to the recipe. And then we also, we, we knew our recipe, we knew what we were trying to do, we knew what we were trying to accomplish, we knew the correct temperature that we were trying to bake our cookies at, we even knew the amount of time that we were needing to bake the cookies. We had everything that we needed, we had all of the information correct to be able to deliver the absolute perfect batch, at least according to Beth, of chocolate chip cookies. We had it. Perfect. Should have went off without a hitch. Everything was right. Ingredients were right. Everything. Even had a recipe. Well, if you go back on YouTube and you watch the, uh, the, the video of what we did, you'll actually find out that my, my, my wife, my beautiful wife, my, my lovely wife, who's actually looking at me right now, uh, she made a mistake. When we were baking the cookies, and she put something in in the wrong order. She made a mistake in the process. And what we got was not the perfect, delicious, awesome batch of chocolate chip cookies we were looking for. Now, again, the ingredients were irreplaceable, and they were correct. The recipe was correct. The time, the temperature, everything was right. But the process, the order that we put it together was wrong. And as a result, the, res- the results that we got back were a little bit disappointing. Or a little bit disappointing. Go back, watch, watch it. It was a couple weeks ago. It's on Stuttgart Harvest Church's YouTube channel, which, by the way, if you haven't subscribed, I would encourage you to do that. And uh, you can see that. And you'll see where we, we made a mistake, and it wasn't perfect. Uh, they were okay. They weren't bad. 
They just weren't exactly the outcome that we were looking for. We did everything right from a perspective of ingredient and what we put in. We just did it in the right order. And change in our lives, and I can really only speak for myself here. I can kind of really only speak from my own personal experience. So I want to make sure before I even get started to, to be clear, I'm speaking from my experience this morning. Nobody else's. Change in my life can sometimes be similar to the experience that Beth and I had when we were putting together those chocolate chip cookies. We have the correct ingredients. We have the right stuff to get change and to get growth in our lives as we're on this journey of following Jesus. We, we, we get the right ingredients. We have the right ingredients. We, and we basically know what it is we're trying to accomplish. We might probably even have the right recipe. I mean, we've got the Bible. We have the New Testament. We know what Peter said, what Paul said, what John said. We know what Jesus said. We have the recipe. But sometimes, often maybe, for me, I get things out of order. Um, I get the process messed up. And as a result, the thing I get out is a little bit disappointing. Now, if you're anything like me, and I feel like you probably are because I feel like I'm pretty typical. I feel like I am an average follower of Jesus. I'm, I'm just an average, typical person. I'm just that's my opinion of myself pretty average if you're anything like me I feel like if you're making efforts to change and grow in your journey of following Jesus then probably you've been working pretty hard at it you've probably been pretty putting some pretty good things into the pot you know you've probably been putting a lot of good things into the pot but it's very possible again if you're like me if your experience is anything like mine You've been putting things into the pot, into, again, into like what we did with the cookies. You've been putting the good ingredients in maybe the wrong way. And as a result, it's rendered those great things, those great ingredients, those irreplaceable ingredients, it's rendered them somewhat ineffective. If you're anything like me, if your experience has been anything like mine. And as we were kind of talking about what maybe that looked like, a practical way that we could kind of boil that down, what would that look like? We came up with some common mistakes that the typical follower of Jesus makes as they're trying to grow and as they're trying to change in their journey of following Jesus. And these false models of change that lead to faulty systems of change. And we actually came up with three systems of change. Now, we're not saying that these are the only systems of change. We're just saying that these three kind of, we feel like, hit everybody in some way or another. The three systems of change that we came up with were, first of all, the business model for spiritual change, the workout model for spiritual change, and then the educational model for spiritual change. Now, before we go any further, I want to be real clear. We're not saying that there's anything wrong with these. We're not saying there's anything at all wrong with these three models. In fact, we're telling you that these three models have some really good ingredients, really good stuff. There's really good stuff that go into these three systems. The ingredients are good. The expectations are great, growth and change. But sometimes the process gets a little bit out of whack. So the business model for spiritual change, really, to me, the business model for spiritual change is the one that I grew up learning. It's the one that I learned uh, with the way I was taught 
by the church that I grew up in. It's really, to me, the model that is taught most often by the 20th and 21st century church. And the, the way the business model for spiritual change works is this. It, it works like a business. So you work really, really hard. You work really, really hard, and you, you, you check certain things off the box. Really good things. Really good things. Really good ingredients. And you check these really good things off the box, like going to church and reading your Bible, and, and we can go down the list. And as you check those things off, as a workman, as you are following Jesus on this journey of following Jesus, you check those things off the box, and you do that for an extended period of time. When you get to the end of your shift, like a business, you cash the check. And you've grown. And you've changed. That's what I was taught. That's the experience that I was taught as a person following Jesus. Now the other, the second, would be the workout model. Now the workout model for spiritual change, Harley, when we were talking, this is the one that Harley most uh, closely connected to. This is what uh, kind of rang most true with him. The workout model for spiritual change is more of a well-planned spiritual workout that I can plan and I can orchestrate and I can control. So a good example of that might be this. If you've ever kind of gotten on that system of I'm going to read through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, in 365 days. You know, I've got this plan, and I've got this, this system that I'm going to do, and it's going to work, and I've got control of it. That's kind of like the workout model. Or even something that here at Stuttgart Harvey's Church, something that we do. We call it the power pack. We've talked about the power pack. That's kind of like the workout model. Again, not saying there's anything wrong with it. Just saying that in and of itself, by itself, maybe it's a little bit lacking. And then the third model, whereas the business model is what I was taught, the third model, the educational model for spiritual change, the educational model for spiritual change really fits me as a person. So if you said, who are you as a person, kind of what fits your niche and your kind of DNA, it's the educational model. Because for me, if I want to grow spiritually, and I want to change spiritually on my journey as a follower of Jesus. Here's what I have to do in my mind. This is what I have to do. It's an educational pursuit. It's an educational pursuit. I've got to grow as I learn. Gain knowledge. As I gain knowledge, I will change. So if I want to grow... I've got to read the Bible. I've got to learn more about the major prophets and the minor prophets and the, pro and the books of prophecy. And I've got to learn more about the Gospels. And I've got to learn more about Paul's epistles and, you know, so on and so forth. And, and, you know, I've got to read commentaries and listen to podcasts. And, and if I do those things, if I really go at it from an educational perspective, I'm going to grow. And again, be clear, not saying there's anything wrong with that. The ingredients... The ingredients can be really, really good. But if the process of putting them together doesn't go quite in order, then the outcomes can be somewhat lacking. So these models by themselves, they're faulty. Even though we've all done it, and we've all probably tried to grow and change as a follower of Jesus, using one of these three, or maybe all of these three models, they're faulty by themselves because God uses a very, very different model. God hasn't set it up like that. Now, before we go any further, I feel like I need to make a statement to anybody listening right now in the room or anybody watching us on Facebook Live or on our YouTube channel. If you have yet to make the decision to become a follower of Jesus, 
then great news. Relax. This morning's not for you. You don't have to worry about this morning. In fact, here's what you get to do if you've not made a decision to follow Jesus yet. You get the opportunity to sit back, throw your feet up, and just kind of get a chance to look and see what this whole thing about following Jesus is all about. And just see if that's something you even want to look at anyway. Because what we're talking about this morning is strictly for someone who has chosen to follow Jesus. And what does that journey look like? And how does that journey go? Because remember, what is our series? My life is a love song to Jesus. What does that mean? And what is that talking about? So if you're not a follower of Jesus right now, that's okay. You get to peek behind the curtain this morning. And that's great. So... It's not a system. It's not a model that God has used for growth and change. It's actually something called, more accurately, a metaphor. God uses a metaphor, which a metaphor is a literary term. It is a great term. It's a descriptive term. And as Harley talked about, we were talking on Friday, it actually kind of paints a 3D picture. A metaphor paints a 3D picture for us, and it gives us a great description of something. And the metaphor that God uses to kind of give us an idea of what it means to grow and change as we learn and as we journey on this life of following Jesus, the metaphor he uses is this. Marriage. Okay. All right. Hold on. Don't tune me out just yet. Because for some of us, maybe for all of us, when you hear the word marriage, your initial thought is, whoa, ain't been all that great for me. Right? For, for many of us, for many of us, it, it, it just hasn't, marriage is not a great metaphor in our mind because, let's face it, marriage can be very difficult. I'll give you a great example. And I have asked permission to tell this story. So, uh, Harley, I did ask permission. So, uh, this past Thursday, Beth and I, Beth's my wife, if you don't know, Beth and I, we were running and uh, we, were, we, were, we were jogging around town, and we had made it out to the west side of town over on 10th Street, you know, where it goes past the railroad tracks, out toward Highway 79, kind of goes by Stratton. And we were out on uh, 10th Street. We'd been running for a pretty good while, and we were about halfway on 10th Street Extension out there on the west side of town. And Beth starts making this, this sound that didn't sound natural. The only way I know to put it. It just didn't sound natural. And I couldn't help myself. I had to make a comment. I was like, what, what, is, what are you doing? What is that? I, are you okay? Are you going to die on me out here? I mean, you know, and I probably, she's looking at me. I, I just, I'm like, are you okay? And apparently at that moment was not the time to make that statement. And I learned that the hard way. Because at that moment, Beth, as she tells me, we are at the, and I'm not going to use the words that she used, we're at the moment in the programming that Beth's not happy. And guys, this is the truth. Beth and I had a little knockdown drag out right there in the middle of 10th Street Extension. I mean, we didn't like fight or anything, but I mean, we were, she verbally abused me, just being honest. She verbally abused me. Marriage can be difficult, okay? And I probably gave a little bit of verbal abuse back, so I, I, I'm throwing it all on her, but I can because I'm up here. But the truth is, Marriage can be difficult, and, and it's not easy, and we understand that. But for the metaphor that we're trying to use this morning, or we want to use this morning, what we'd like you to do is think about marriage from God's perspective. Don't think about marriage from the perspective of the fallen world that we live in. Think about marriage from the perspective that God put in place. And that's the metaphor that we want to look at this morning. It's the metaphor to describe the relationship between the Christ follower and Jesus himself. It's really basically like 
Following Jesus is a marriage, and it's like being married to God. That's pretty heavy when you think about it in those terms. That's pretty heavy. So we're going to jump into Scripture this morning, and we're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to start in verse 1. Now, before we go into that Scripture, a couple of things. This is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, and he was writing to uh, Christ followers in the town of Corinth. So this church was in the town of Corinth, and Paul is literally writing them a letter saying, hey, these are some things I want to tell you about. But whereas it was written several thousand years ago to Christ followers in Corinth, it can just as easily be applied to Christ followers in Stuttgart, Arkansas, or anywhere that you may happen to be watching us this morning in 2020. So it's just as applicable to me today as it was to a Christ follower in Corinth several thousand years ago. So 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 1. I hope you will put up with me a little more, or put up with a little more of my foolishness. Please bear with me. So I kind of like the way Paul starts that out. For I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. So it's almost like Paul saying, I'm jealous for you like a father. Protecting his daughter for her future marriage with the love of her life. And then if we read further, we see who the marriage is to. This is what Paul continues on in verse 2. I promised you, this is God speaking, I promised you as a pure bride to one husband. Again, there's that marriage metaphor. One husband, Christ. So as a follower of Jesus, once I make that decision, I've been promised as in a marriage relationship, again, that metaphor, to Jesus himself. And then verse 3. Here's the problem. Paul then kind of shifts focus and he says to the church at Corinth, and he says to me in 2020, here's the problem though, verse 3. But I hear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. So basically Paul says, something's going wrong though. This is the way it was supposed to look. You were supposed to be given as a pure bride to Jesus once you became a follower, but something's taken your eyes off of Jesus. Something has caught your eye other than Jesus. Something has captured your heart. Something has captured your love other than your husband, other than your wife, other than your your spouse. Again, using that marriage metaphor kind of to clear it up, kind of to use it in those descriptive terms. You see, because Christ, according to Scripture, has made me as a follower of Jesus to be the absolute center object of his affection. You say, how do you know that? How do you know that? Very simply, because he was willing to die for me. He was willing to die for me. He was willing to go to the cross for me. Therefore, I can without question say, I am the center object of his affection as a result of that. So, if... He was willing to die for me, and that puts me in the center of his affection, then in turn, it would only make sense if we are to stay with this marriage metaphor. It only makes sense that I am supposed to make him the ultimate object of my affection. Again, that marriage metaphor. So Paul here is simply urging this, these um, Christ followers in Corinth to leave their false saviors, to leave their false gospels, and to simply place their love and place their affection only in Jesus and nothing else. 
Anything that takes their heart, their mind away from Jesus, get rid of it. And he's telling me the same thing today. He's telling Stuttgart Harvest Church the same thing. He's telling anybody watching on Facebook or YouTube that's a follower of Jesus. He's telling us the same thing. Anything that takes my heart, takes my affection away from Jesus, get rid of it. Now, last week we talked about um, our time. And we talked about, as our bottom line last week, it was every moment of my time proves my love's design. And in with that, we gave you guys, we gave all of us, not you, gave me as well, Harley and myself, we've all, we ask everyone to do this. Uh, we reintroduced something called our 60 for 60 experiment. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. The 60 for 60 experiment, you know where that would fall? It would kind of fall in the workout system. It would. It's a system. It's a workout system. Nothing wrong with it. Nothing in the world wrong with it. It's good stuff, good ingredients. But we reintroduced that, and we said, what we would like you to do is for the next 60 days, set an alarm on your phone, and every 60 minutes when your alarm goes off, just say, Jesus, what do you want me to do with this moment right now? That's a great way to get started. That's a great way to get started in trying to make our lives a love song to Jesus. Give him, give him our time. But there's more than that. My life needs more than that. And my love song to Jesus needs, it needs more than just that 60 for 60 experiment that we talked about last week. But, unfortunately, I can speak, again, for my experience, not necessarily anyone else's experience, my experience. My experience is this. Often, my life is a love song to other things that I love. Just, I'm just being honest with you. That, that's me. That's the experience that I have. So this is the question that I would kind of pose this morning to everybody in here, anybody watching. I would pose this question, and I would ask you kind of ask this question to yourself internally. What false love entices me away from Jesus, the faithful love of my life? What false love entices me away from Jesus? I'll give you some for me. I'll just give you the examples that I thought of. There's two for me. One for me is, and, and anybody that knows me knows this, somebody, I think I just heard it, sports. Somebody just said it, I think. Athletics, that's, that's one for me, is, is sports. I love athletics. That's one that can kind of take me away from, from that. And you know what the second one is? And some of you may, this may actually give you a little, you may feel some tension when I use this as an example. My family. Love for my family can take my eyes away from Jesus sometimes. Those are two for me. Now, you may, it may be totally different for you. It will be totally different for you. But that's me. Sports and my family can sometimes take my eyes away from Jesus. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with my family, obviously. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with sports. It's just sometimes it can take my eyes away from Jesus. And so from that question, this question, why do we worship other things in place of Jesus. Why? Why do we do it? And I think what it boils down to is this. I think it really is this simple. We worship what we find attractive. We worship what looks good. We worship what feels good. We worship what brings us happiness and what brings us satisfaction. You know, I think for me, I worship what makes me happy. And sports make me happy. And my family makes me happy. Sometimes I put my focus there in place 
of Jesus. And basically, in this scripture we're reading, Paul is pleading with us to stay focused on Jesus as a man is expected to stay focused on his wife. And as a wife is to stay focused on her husband. Again, using that marriage metaphor. Protect that love. Remain pure and loyal in that relationship. Guard our hearts against things that try to capture our attention. Even good stuff sometimes. If it's capturing my attention, even if something good is capturing my attention from my wife, is it necessarily a good thing? Because in the case of when we're talking even good things, capturing my attention away from what takes my attention away from Jesus being in the center of my life and my focus, then it's not so good. This could really be probably a good, Harley, we maybe should, wherever you're at, we maybe should write this all down for a marriage seminar or something. This could probably be some good stuff. Paul's saying, fight against anything that tempts us to be unfaithful to him. Now, let me give you an example of kind of how good things, good ingredients, irreplaceable ingredients, can in and of themselves not be enough. So when I was growing up, as I was growing up, this, and, and as I was journeying, and still to this day, I, I, should, I should be more clear, still to this day, as I have been growing and changing, trying to grow and change in my journey of following Jesus, these are the things that I was taught that you had to do if you wanted to change in your journey of following Jesus. This is what you had to do. And some of these things I'm going to list off, you're going to go, yeah, that's me too, I, I, I got you. And everything that I'm going to list off, again, good stuff. Not saying they're bad, but this is what you had to do. You have to, if you want to grow and you want to change in your journey of following Jesus, you have to participate in church, right? You've got to go to church. Buddy, I did. Every time the doors were open. Sunday morning. Sunday night. Wednesday night. We even had something called visitation. I did that sometimes, a few times, not many. I didn't like visitation. Visitation was weird. Went and knocked on people's doors at night and stopped them from eating their supper. I just, I didn't like it. It was, it was awkward for me. I, I wasn't very confident, I don't think, was a big part of it. But anyway, I did it all, man. That's what you were supposed to do. Go to church. I say there's anything wrong with it. It's, that's, what, that's how you grow. That's how you change. You go to church. You do Bible study. You read your Bible. There's anything wrong with it, but that's what you do. You read your Bible. You pray. Um, you, you read Christian books. You share your faith. We, we called it witnessing, right? You witness. You share your faith. You go into a small group. Huh? Hey, right? So they go to our church, small groups. That's our thing, right? We do small groups. Small groups. You got to be in a small group. Be in a small group. Be in a small group. If you're not in a small group, you got to be in a small group. We serve others, right? We, we, that's what we do. And if you want to grow and you want to change, those are the things you have to do. And for me, and by the way, those are all good things. Not taking anything away. I'm kind of making light of them, but they're all good things. All great things. But for me, and I'm only speaking from my experience, for a large part of my life, those things I approached as a checklist. It was my checklist. And I had to get those things done. 
And if I got those things done, I checked them off my list. If I was going to grow and I was going to change. So, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm going through this life of being a follower of Jesus. I'm going to grow. I've got to go to church. Check. I've got to read my Bible. Check. Visitation. Yeah, we'll skip that one. I've got to go to, you know, I've got I've to I've do these things. Check, 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 check. And if I did not do them, I felt guilty. I felt bad about it. If I did them, though, <laughs> yeah, felt good. You know, I was relieved. I was satisfied. I was accomplished. I was kind of like, you know, a super Christian, right? Felt pretty good if I got them done, if I checked those things off of my list. And, and what would happen in, without fail, what would happen for me is the end result was actually became trying to accomplish each task. So the goal for me was to get the task done, to get the task finished, to get a, you did it, boy. pat yourself on the back, you know. But even with all of those things, and again, being clear, all of that's good stuff. We're not in any way, shape, form, or fashion trying to say that's not good. We need to do those things. But even with all of those things, and if you can check all of those boxes, something was still missing. Something was still missing. Because it's like we talked about at the very beginning. All of my ingredients were good. Going to church, reading my Bible, uh, sharing the gospel with others, being a part of a small group, serving those around me, so on and so forth. All of those ingredients were good that I was putting into my journey. Good stuff. But something was still missing. I had the right ingredients. I knew what I desired. I just was getting the process mixed up. And it was what I was taught. It's what most of us probably have been taught. Because at the end of the day, God gave us all those things. Church attendance. Bible study. He gave us those things as a means to an end. They're not the end. So I'm going to make a couple of statements this morning that I probably would venture to guess you're not going to hear many other people make in a church this morning. I'm going to make a statement. Get ready. The purpose of being a follower of Jesus is not to come to church on Sunday morning. That's not the point. Not the point. That's not the end goal. That's part of the process. That's a part of the journey, but that is not the end goal. Now I'm going to make a statement that I guarantee you no one else is going to make. The purpose of following Jesus is not to place your tithes and offerings in the giving buckets at the back of the worship theater when you leave. I guarantee you nobody else is saying that. That's not the point. That's part of the process. That's not saying there's anything wrong with it, but that's not the point. It's just a part of it. That's not the end goal. The goal is not just to get those things done so I can check them off of my daily list. Because when those things, those really good things, when they become the end, then they become my focus. And when they become my focus, they become the center of, of my desire. And when they become the center of my desire, 
they begin to become what I worship. Because what was happening in my life, in my experience, here's what was happening. I was worshiping the very thing that God gave me to know Him more. I was worshiping the very thing that God gave me to love Him more. I was worshiping the very thing that God gave me to worship Him more. All of those things are very necessary, but they're a part of the path. They're not the destination. And when those things become the destination, the truth is we can do all of those, each and every one of them, from going to church to reading our Bible to giving tithes and offerings to serving others to all of those things to even telling people to witnessing. We can give, do every single one of those things without Jesus being involved. They become our focus. And Jesus is no longer our focus. Because again, what's that marriage relationship? That we talked about, that metaphor, the husband to the wife. Anything that takes my eyes off of Jesus has become a distraction. And Paul said very clearly, keep Jesus as the focus, not church attendance. Not Bible study, Jesus. So this marriage metaphor that God's given us, it really is a great way to help us understand this relationship between the follower of Jesus and Jesus. It's a great descriptive way to explain it. Because if I'm married to Christ, as the scripture says, then the driving force of my life is no longer my personal happiness. Instead, it's my spiritual purity. It's my fidelity. It's me remaining faithful to Jesus above everything else. So, question is, will I remain faithful to Jesus or will I seek fulfillment elsewhere? Whether it be in sports, is it in my family, is it, and, and again, for anybody in here, for, it's going to be different for everybody, but will I look for fulfillment in something other than Jesus? Whether I'm having good times or I'm having bad times, because right now in this room and watching right now, there are people that are, having a, are doing well and there are people that are doing really not well. My attention, regardless of my situation, has to remain welded to Jesus. And I'm not saying that's easy. I certainly am not saying that I've got this thing figured out. Far from it, Harley would agree. He's going to say the same thing. But since Christ is the ultimate prize, anything that can really lure me away must become, and I hate to use the buzzword of 2020, but I'm going to do it. It has to become non-essential. Because being married to Christ really means I've got to be all in. Because by his death on the cross, it shows me that Jesus himself, he was certainly all in. And if I'm not all in, then I'm unfaithful in this marriage metaphor that God's given us. Because the Christ-following life, it is so much more than reading the Bible important but it's more than that the christ following life is 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 a lot more than knowing doctrine it's important but it's more than that the christ following life is more than giving giving our money giving our tithes and our offerings it's it's important but it's more than that the christ following life is more than serving others again very important 
It's essential ingredient, but it's more than that. The Christ-following life is even more than feeling the arm, the, the hairs on my arm stand up when I experience worship. It's important, but it's more than that. Because at the end of the day, I can do every one of those very, very good things. I can do all these things without Jesus being in the center of my life. Oh, yeah. Cole, before I tag in, would you say that last statement again? <laughs> I, can do G I can do all of these things yeah. without Jesus being in the center of my life. Yeah. So, thank you, Cole. If, if Christ really is the only prize that is worth living for in our lives, with this whole metaphor of us being married to Jesus, then we need to seriously look at who Jesus is. Who is this prize called Jesus? Who is this Jesus called in Scripture the bridegroom? And we need to think about that. We need to think about exactly how wonderful this Jesus is because it's going to take our all if we're going to be in a, in a relationship, a lifelong relationship with Jesus. And Jesus himself, I, I, this is striking to me, he even warns us in the New Covenant, he warns us that we need to think very, very closely, very hard about this whole thing before we say, I do, to Christ. He gives us that warning. Before we enter into that relationship, we better count the cost. Are we willing? You see, saying I do to Christ, it's not a casual thing. So, this morning, as we kind of wrap this up, I just really want us to get this idea in our minds about who this Jesus is. So here's our bottom line for today. Everything Cole just talked about leads to this one statement. Jesus is the ultimate prize of my life, so I fight to be faithful. I work on it. I struggle. I fight to be faithful because Jesus really is the ultimate prize of my life. Now, Paul... Uh, in another letter uh, to another group of believers, and he's talking to believers at this point, uh, Paul gives us information about who exactly is this prize named Jesus. And I want to take just a few minutes for us to look at this. Who is this Jesus that God says we are in a relationship with if we choose to surrender to him and follow him? And we find it in the book of Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to look at a few verses starting with verse 15. And here's what verse 15 says. Paul says this, Christ is the visible image of an invisible God. In other words, he's saying Jesus is actually God. He's not just like God. He is God. Do you, know what, do you want to know what God is like? Paul says, just look at Jesus. Do you want to know how Jesus would handle someone who's really self-righteous? I mean, you want to know how God would handle that? Just look at Jesus. Do you want to know how God would handle someone who's hurting and someone who, who's a sinner and someone who wants God to help them out of that mess? He said, just look at Jesus. You'll know how God handles it because he is God. Jesus is the ultimate prize of my life. So I fight to be faithful. He goes on, Paul says, he existed before anything was created and is supreme over 
all of creation. You get this? Jesus was not created. <laughs> when there was nothing, there were no, uh, no molecules and no space, not even empty space, there was nothing. There was Jesus. That puts Him in first place. It means this. Jesus is the ultimate prize. The ultimate prize of my life. So guess what? I fight. I fight to be faithful. Paul goes on in verse 16. For through Him, God created everything. In the heavenly realms and on earth, He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities of this unseen world. In other words, if it was created... It was because of Jesus. And when God spoke in Genesis, the book of Genesis, when God spoke and created, it was Jesus speaking. Everyone and everything, we owe our existence to Jesus. Jesus really is the ultimate prize of my life. So I fight to be faithful. Paul goes on, everything was created through him and for him. In other words, it pleased Jesus to create you and to create me. It, it pleased him. We were created by him. We were created for him. Me, you, your children, all for him. The sun and the moon and the stars, this earth, for him. The galaxy all around us. For Him. Every planet out there, every other star that you can see, every other sun in other galaxies, other places, all across the universe, it was for Him. I am not the center of this universe. He is. For Him. Jesus is the ultimate prize of my life, so I fight to be faithful. Verse 17, Paul says, He existed before anything else. This means Jesus is eternal. When time started, when time began, Jesus was before that. When the clock started ticking, Jesus was before that. When the calendar started flipping, Jesus was even before that. That's just a reality. That is a fact. That's what happened. That's how it works. Jesus was before all of that. I'm going to catch up here. All right. Guess what about gravity? <laughs> when gravity made things stick to the earth, well... Jesus was before gravity. Jesus is outside of all of these things that he created. He's beyond that. He's outside of that. He is not bound by those things. He's not bound by the calendar. He's outside of that. He's not bound by the clock. He's outside of that. He's not bound by the physical limitations that we have on this earth, like gravity and like space. He is beyond that. Jesus really is the ultimate prize of my life. So guess what? I fight to be faithful. Paul goes on. He says, he holds all creation together. Guess what? On this earth, 
children continue to be born every single day because Jesus holds it all together. The earth still spins on its axis because Jesus makes sure that it does. The planets still rotate around the sun in a very predictable pattern because Jesus is holding it all together. And today, as you leave here in this very moment, you are sticking to your chair. I'm sticking to this stage. We are stuck here because of gravity. And guess what? That law of gravity, Jesus keeps it intact. E equals MC squared, not by accident. No, because Jesus makes it so. Jesus holds it all together. This creation of His. He holds it together. Jesus is the ultimate prize of my life. So I fight to be faithful to Him. Verse 18, Paul goes on. Christ is also the head of the church, which is His body. Paul's saying Jesus is the head of this body, this thing called the church. Jesus is the king of all, the life giver of the church. Jesus truly is the ultimate prize of my life, so I fight to be faithful. He goes on. He's the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. Jesus was the first to rise from the dead and never die again. So he is once again first place. My friends, without the resurrection, the world has no hope. I have no hope. There is no life for me, no life for you, no gospel, nothing without the resurrection. And that makes Jesus supreme. And there's nothing in this world that compares to him. And Christ's followers are the only ones in the entire created world that worship a risen Savior, and he's alive today. Jesus is the ultimate prize of my life, so I fight to be faithful to him. Verse 19, Paul says, For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. Jesus is every bit the fullness of God. My friends, we don't have to look anywhere else to, to be full in this life. To be fulfilled in this life. Because Jesus is the ultimate prize of my life. So I fight to be faithful. And in verse 20, Paul says, And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He's talking for those who have chosen to submit their lives to Christ. Jesus is going to restore everything in this universe by him, because of him, and nothing is beyond hope. Jesus is the ultimate prize of my life, so I fight to be faithful. Paul says he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by the means of Christ's blood on the cross. Jesus is our peacemaker. He brings the reign of God down here to this earth, and he joins all of those who are willing, those sinners like me, he joins them to himself so that they can enjoy and not be crushed by his glory. And all this can only happen because he chose 
to set aside his glory for a little while, to die on the cross and be raised again for us. And my friends, that makes Jesus the ultimate prize for my life, so I fight to be faithful. Oh, such an amazing person. This Jesus who deserves our full attention, our full devotion, our full fidelity. He deserves our all. And listen, I know it is weird. It is so weird for us to be thinking about being married to Jesus. But it's a spiritual reality. That's what it is. And this human marriage that we experience, God gave us that. A man married to a woman so that we could understand our relationship to God. He created marriage to help us understand that. Now with all of this in mind, does Jesus get our personal devotion? Does He get our personal attention? Or... Have we instead, in this relationship, in this marriage with God, have we left Him to seek after and chase after a false love? Quite simply, are we cheating on Jesus? In America, we usually think of ourselves as, well, you know, we're not perfect, but we're pretty good. We're pretty good. But let's ask, though. In this relationship with Jesus, in this marriage to Jesus, what do we bring into this marriage? What do we have to offer this person we just read about in all these verses? What do we have to offer Jesus? And the answer is simple. We offer one thing to Him. Nothing. Nothing. We don't offer Jesus anything. We don't have anything that Jesus needs. We don't. And Paul says, before we come to Jesus, we're not pretty good. But we think we're pretty good. We're not mostly okay. We think we are. And in the next verse, Paul makes this very clear. Verse 21, he says, this includes you who were once far away from God. Here's what we were. He says, you were his enemies not pretty good you were separated that's me separated from him why why because he says by your evil thoughts and actions that's me not pretty good into this relationship with Jesus do you know what I bring to this marriage I bring nothing but problems and I bring nothing but sin and pain and hurt and unfaithfulness that's what I bring Jesus is the only one who brings anything good into this relationship with me. He's the only one. And here's what it says. Verse 22, Paul goes on. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself. He's speaking to believers, followers of Jesus. He's reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And guess what happened when he brought this into the relationship? As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. 
He takes my junk and my mess and my unfaithfulness and He takes it away with His blood. Not because I did something. Not because I checked a spiritual box and I checked some things off my list. Jesus and Jesus alone, He did everything that was necessary to redeem me and to redeem you. And Paul goes on, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Paul says, continue. Jesus deserves for you and me to continue. Jesus deserves it. He says, stand firm. It's called fidelity. Being faithful to Jesus in our relationship, we owe that to Jesus. Paul goes on, he says, don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. Don't drift away from that. Don't drift away from the gospel. Don't leave the gospel. Jesus, he's saying, must be at the very center of everything. So here's where we go back to all of these good ingredients. Of everything I do, Jesus should be the center. Of everything I say, he should be the center. Of everything I think, he should be the center. When I do these spiritual things, They are not the end. Jesus is the end. So when I'm reading the Bible, it's not so that I can gain knowledge. It is so that I can see Jesus. So that I can talk to Jesus. When I am worshiping through giving, it is all about Jesus. Jesus, what do you want me to do with your money? How do you want me to manage it? It's all about Jesus. All of the things that we do, Jesus is the center. The goal is not to check it off a list. It is to commune with, to talk to, to love, to adore Jesus. Jesus has taken care of my past. Because of Jesus. I have an eternity waiting for me in heaven with Jesus. Because of Jesus. All that He is asking of me is to remain faithful to Him right now. What does the Gospel have to do with right now? What does it have to do with right now? This very moment of my life and then the next moment and then the next moment? Here's what it has to do with it. Don't cheat on Jesus while we're waiting for our eternity with Him. Don't cheat on Him right now while we're waiting for that day. While Jesus is gone from this earth. He sent his spirit, but he is gone. He has placed, as we said last week, his very nature inside of us, his nature, his spirit. So here's where we wrap it up and we end here, I promise. Jesus is the ultimate prize for my life. So I fight to be faithful. We talked about the 60-60 experiment. Cole explained it. We're asking you, of your awake part of your day, 
would you set a silent alarm on your phone to just go off at least at just once every hour, every 60 minutes? And let's do this for 60 days. Last week, we asked the question, when the alarm went off, we asked the question, Jesus, what do you want me to do with this moment right now? Jesus was the center of that, right? Now, this week, we're going to ask you to do something different. When that alarm goes off, here's what we want you to do. This week, when that alarm goes off, that reminder goes off, do this. Just stop and focus for that moment on adoring, loving Worshipping Jesus, who is worthy of your adoration and worthy of your worship. It's just a reminder. Before long, you will just do it automatically. But for right now, when that alarm goes off, remember, just adore. Just stop and adore Jesus. Jesus, I adore you. I worship you because you are, and fill in the blank, adore Him, worship Him at a minimum. At the very least, we will be worshiping and adoring Jesus at the very least one time every hour. As we leave here today, let's leave here adoring our Jesus. Remaining faithful to Jesus. Because my friends, He deserves it. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the perfect and holy one. There is none like you. Jesus, only you could pay this price for my rebellion against you. Jesus, there is none like you. Jesus, when I was at my worst, you gave me your best and you require my all. You deserve my all. And right now, as best I can, it is my all that I give to you, my precious Jesus, my Savior. Amen.